pleasure to be here this morning. Uh, I didn't realize last year when uh, I uh, begged Kirby for a, the chance at a plenary. It's like, come on, Kirby, give the local talent a shot. <laughs> Open the doors. Let one of the one, let one of the kids on the block have a shot at the mic with the big audience. And he said, sure. Little did I know it was going to be at O'Dark 30. So um, please feel free to continue napping, drink your coffee, ruminate on the day's activities, and I promise that I'll do my best not to uh, put you in too deep of a slumber over the next uh, 20 or 30 minutes. Um, it's my pleasure uh, this morning, I guess, to kind of set the table for the next day and a half as we examine the events um, surrounding Montana and the Great War. Um, and so as we gather for the next two days to discuss and to pontificate as only we can do and debate and argue, yes, we're going to argue, and it's okay to argue. Um, just remember, no hair pulling, no eye gouging, no hitting below the belt when you argue. Um, I want us to keep in mind the words of former uh, National Security Advisor Sandy Berger, who wrote, history is written through a rear view mirror, but unfolds through a foggy windshield. And so that's my task this morning to set the table and to fog that windshield up so that we're looking at it as those individuals who worked and struggled and lived through 1917, 1918 Montana um, viewed history as it unfolded. And Again, perhaps no time better illustrates that foggy windshield than the Montana and the Great War. Um, we have 100 years of emotional distance from this time period. We have the clarity of hindsight and the hubris to think that we could have done it better. And yet, we as a people and a nation, uh, we continue to wrestle with the ghosts of our past, never quite resolving those issues that have plagued us then and now. Immigrant versus native labor versus capital, Republican versus Democrat, rule versus urban, diversity versus uniformity. Through the haze of the morning coffee and the addled from caffeine, we're going to peer through that fog-shrouded window um, as Samuel Stewart would have as governor of the state of Montana and figure out, well, not figure out, but speak up. Okay. Boss is giving me the thumbs up. I thought I was doing really good. You were giving me the thumbs up. <laughs> we'll speak up. So what we're going to do is we're going to take a look at the evidence that Sam Stewart had before him as he decided that there was a need for an extraordinary session in February of 1918. On the national scene, um, we have... President Wilson going before Congress in April and asking for a declaration of war against Germany. Six senators and 50 representatives voted no on that war measure um, for three primary reasons. One, traditional American uh, isolationism. The last thing that you wanted to do was get involved in foreign entanglements overseas. The other was best expressed by Robert La Follette, who believed that it was a mistake to go to war, because in essence it was a rich man's war fought for the benefit of the moneyed class and a detriment to the broad mass of the American public. And then there were those like Jeanette Rankin, who didn't believe in war, any war, any time. They were horrified at the mass um, slaughter that was occurring in Europe, 
and the thought appalled them of sending American soldiers over there to participate in that event. Balancing that out were the interventionists, those who believed that we had a moral obligation to go to Europe, not necessarily to combat just the central powers, but to combat the old world, Europe itself, couched in coercive governments, irrationality, barbarism, and feudalism. So in other words, we were going to go over there not only to stop the Hun, but save Europe for itself. President Wilson also took this opportunity to declare war on the hyphenated American, which he believed was a considerable threat to the United States. In part, um, American Germans or German Americans concerned him because of success, successful German espionage esport, efforts in uh, the United States at the beginning of the war in 1914. There was also the matter of a nation of immigrants having too many immigrants, many of them coming from those countries that were represented by the central powers. Teddy Roosevelt believed that the military tent would be one of the greatest democratizing um, efforts the United States had ever experienced, rivaling only the public school, where the moneyed and the poor would lay down together shoulder to shoulder in the soldier's tent and rest and fight the war. Now this isn't your typical World War II that we're used to, where you have a strong dividing line between good versus evil. This is World War I, and there's really no right side, there's really no wrong side in the effort. So in a way, President Wilson, when he declared war, or asked for the declaration of war against Germany, they had to manufacture <coughs> public opinion, they had to shape public opinion on why it was necessary to go to war against Germany, as opposed to going to war on the side of Germany. Governor Stewart faced many of the same issues here at home, um, and the task fell to him through guiding Montana through this time period. Part of the task, as I mentioned, was manufacturing support for the war by amplifying the seriousness of the threat at home as well as abroad. The Montana Council of Defense was an example of this. There is a National Council of Defense that was established after the declaration of war. Governor Stewart established the Montana Council of Defense in April of 1917 after the session ended in March. Um, it didn't really have any legal authority in the state of Montana. Is that better? All right. We'll hold the mic. You'll just have to put up with my handshaking. It's not because you make me nervous. It's just because I broke my elbow a few years ago, so it shakes. <coughs> okay, so Stewart found himself in the interesting position of trying to manufacture support for the war. And Montanans jumped in wholeheartedly at this, enlisting in large numbers and so forth. And interesting things began to happen at home as well. Uh, patriotic organizations sprung up and home guards were established. Uh, the Home Guards made uh, Stewart extremely nervous uh, because they bought into the uh, idea that Stanford diplomatic historian Ephraim D. Adams um, defined as indirect treason. In other words, agitators, socialists, tax reformers, pacifists were all guilty of treason because they refused to subordinate their agenda to the larger national effort of winning the war. 
J.W. Jones, uh, Sheriff of Weibo County, wrote Stewart regarding his concerns that the governor did not approve of the home guard establishments in Montana and asked for clarification. He indicated that their 150-member unit didn't want to do anything that would embarrass the governor or be outside of his uh, uh, purview of his office. And so Governor Stewart believed that he needed proper legislation in place to help direct and advise and have some sort of legal um, authority over these individual groups that were springing up. And perhaps the one thing that scared corporate America and Montana more than just about anything was labor unrest. From the 1890s forward 20 years to 1917, there had been a series of massive strikes across the country. Montana was not uh, outside the realm of those strikes um, and participated wholeheartedly. Governor Stewart had to declare martial law in Butte in 1914 to help quell the violence that was occurring there. There was an IWW invasion along the High Line in 1914 as well that made him extremely nervous. Um, the main generator of this unrest was the Industrial Workers of the World, a, la a radical labor organization that believed in the overthrow of the capitalist system, and um, they promoted the use of sabotage and direct action uh, to achieve those aims. And Stewart, during his tenure as governor, had seen firsthand some of the, of the activities that the IWW was willing to use. And so one of his goals was to try to figure out how he could cool down the labor situation in the state. Also, given the fact that there had been acts of espionage uh, in the eastern part of the United States where German agents had uh, dynamited a shipyard in New Jersey. There was real concern that that terrorism or those acts of terror could be transferred to the industries of the West as well. Um, shortly after the declaration of war against Germany in April of 1917, a strike broke out in the little community of Eureka, Montana in the northwest corner of the state when 30-some river drivers for the Eureka Lumber Company walked off the job. Lumber was considered a, an essential wartime material, so this was of large concern to not only Montana, but the war industries as a, as a whole. Governor Stewart, with the assistance of uh, Montana's two U.S. Senators, Walsh and Myers, managed to get federal troops stationed in Little Eureka, Montana, to help quell the strike. This is the first time after the declaration of war that federal troops were used to thwart strike activity uh, during the war and it happened in Eureka. And maybe with good cause at this time because Stewart feel, uh, feared uh, how bad that strike would spread. And in fact, by August of 1917, the strike not only encompassed Western Montana, but the Panhandle of Idaho and the entire Pacific Northwest. And of course, there were draft riots uh, in a number of places, Butte included, where the Irish, and the Finns and the German workers protested U uh, U.S. involvement in the war against uh, Germany and on the side of Great Britain and its allies. Another event that excited, provoked, concerned Governor Stewart was the lynching of Frank Little. Um, when Little arrived in Butte in July of 1917, uh, he was very good at giving inflammatory speeches and so forth and, and riling up the working class. And as such, the Anaconda Company and some other concerned citizens asked that he be incarcerated under the Espionage Act of 1970. 
Uh, U.S. Attorney Burton K. Wheeler took a look at the act and the actions that Frank Little um, was carrying out in Butte, consulted with the Anaconda Company's uh, chief legal counsel, L.O. Evans, and Evans reluctantly agreed with him that Little had not um, broken any of the laws within the Espionage Act, and so he was turned loose. A few days later, Frank Little was dragged out of his uh, boarding house, tortured, and lynched. So there was reason to be concerned about what was going on. Um, Montanans were going to war in larger in larger numbers. Uh, just before Governor Stewart was set to address the uh, the uh, special session in 1918, he received word that the troop ship SS Tuscania had been sunk off to the, off the coast of Ireland. There were. 2,013 uh, U.S. soldiers on that ship, as well as 384 crew members. Um, it was the first U.S. troop ship to be torpedoed in World War One. There were 200 and dead. There were 210 dead um, from the from the sinking of the ship. Of that, seven were Montanans, which was a huge number at the time. Uh, although we'd been at war for approximately 10 months uh, already, casualties had been fairly light. And this was a pretty significant hit and something that Governor Stewart took to heart when he prepared um, to address the special session. And this, this next quote I'm going to do just because I thought he was hit for saying it. So he's writing a letter to uh, W.F. Wilkeman in Savage, Montana. Wilkeman had sent him a bunch of uh, newspaper clippings from the Yellowstone Valley Star, um, the Fairview Times, the Richland County uh, Chief, and a bunch of other newspapers um, congratulating Governor Stewart on, on his uh, decision to um, call a special session. And so Governor Stewart wrote him back and said, your letter with the clippings has been received, and I'm glad to get the dope. That's pretty hip. He's glad to get the dope. And the dope was that Governor Stewart had issued a proclamation to the press calling for the special session, and he outlined the reasons why. First and foremost was to provide an amendment to the existing seed grain law. Uh, he'd received an abundance of correspondence from farmers throughout the state who were concerned about their ability to get uh, enough seed grain to plant for the coming season. Uh, the, uh, another reason was is that um, they were concerned, folks were concerned about soldiers and sailors serving overseas, and they wanted to protect them um, from statute of limitations and legal proceedings uh, while they were off fighting the war. Wanted to legalize the existence and provide for the maintenance of the State Council of Defense. Although the State Council of Defense had been established in April of 1917, it had no legal authority and it had no funding. Essentially, the State Council of Defense was borrowing money from other state agencies to finance its activities uh, up to this point. So it needed to be given legal authority and it needed to have an appropriation in order to run. To provide legal organization and maintenance of a home guard. With the Montana National Guard called to federal service, there was no military at home, and so it was felt that home guards could stand instead of these individuals and go to those areas that were uh, in need of assistance from the from the state. They also needed a law to better define seditious, treasonable, and disloyal utterances and acts 
and provide a punishment thereof. They needed to define sabotage, criminal syndicalism, and industrial and political anarchy and to provide a punishment for those who were found guilty. He wanted to be able to pass a law to provide a legal method whereby our, uh, American sol Montana soldiers and sailors would be able, to be able to vote during elections. And there needed to be a vote upon the question of the ratification of the amendment to the federal constitution relating to national prohibition. So as I was reading the governor's papers, four things jumped out at me immediately. There was a lot of correspondence from farmers about the need for seed. There was correspondence from individuals who were demanding national suffrage for women. There was an equal amount of correspondence, if not a bit more, from uh, representatives across the state from the Women's Christian Temperance Union who were demanding prohibition, national prohibition. So what better time to go sober is at the time of war? <laughs> not good. And finally, sedition which was a huge concern for not only Montana, but the country as well. On February 14th, Governor Stewart addressed a joint session of the Senate and the House of Representatives uh, regarding the reasons why he had called it. Um, and having outlined them in the proclamation. He believed that the primary purpose for the special session was dictated by the seed law. The seed law, as he saw it, um, was essential uh, to be passed um, to give Montana farmers an opportunity to plant the crops that were being uh, asked of them, but also give authority to the counties to incur sufficient indebtedness to meet the demand. As such, House Bill 10 was passed, which allowed counties to incur indebtedness. They can go into hawk, there we go. Uh, for the purpose of purchasing seed grain for farmers. House Bill 13 addressed the lien on growing crops and threshed crops. House Bill 18 appropriated $500,000 for the operation of the Montana Council of Defense, which would assist farmers in their efforts for food production. As far as suffrage went, they passed a House Joint Memorial, uh, number two, um, and it was being sent to the Senate and Congress of the United States, demanding that national suffrage be put onto the ballot for ratification in those states that didn't already have it, and extending the right to vote to all women. The moral imperative, sobriety. Laura Bailey, president of the local um, Women's Christian Temperance Union in Collins, Montana, and Mrs. O.F. Conan, vice president of the Livingston chapter of the same organization, were two of many women who uh, telegrammed Governor Stewart asking that prohibition be instituted as a wartime measure. And they all used about the exact same language, wartime measure. To them it was criminal that they were using grain to manufacture alcohol. Alcohol that would debilitate the ability of American soldiers to do their duty overseas. So let's go sober. As such, House Joint Resolution Number 2 was uh, passed, um, urging Congress to ratify an amendment to the Constitution um, prohibiting the manufacture, sale, and transportation of intoxicating liquor.
The most contentious issue before this special session was the sedition law. Uh, Governor Stewart had received many petitions from communities such as Highwood and the Eureka Patriotic League uh, demanding that he do something um, with this sedition law to strengthen it, to empower it. Lee Ford, who was president of the Great Falls National Bank, informed Stewart that the metal workers in Great Falls were organizing a home guard. And in his opinion, this was something to be extremely suspicious of, considering the fact that most of the labor unions in Great Falls were planning on a general strike the week of February 8th. So sedition was running rampant. Uh, Joseph Jackson, the Silver Bowl County attorney, probably had a closer look at this than anybody else. Uh, and he congratulated Governor Stewart on his 100% splendid American attitude in the hour of national need. He also assured the governor that when sedition and criminal syndicalism laws were passed, they would, put, they would be put into immediate and vigorous action in Butte. Many of those supporting the law pointed at Frank Little and the murder of Frank Little as a reason why the law needed to be enhanced and to be made more stringent. Um, they believe that the, if, a, if such a law had been in place at the time, Little would have been arrested and thrown in jail and not hung from a trestle on the outskirts of view. William uh, Woolbridge of Hinsdale, Valley County, Montana, uh, identified home guard units in Hinsdale, Haver, Chinook, Malta, and Glasgow, and um, stated that we are at war, some damnable things are being done and we have no militia. Something must be organized to take the place of our sons now in France. And what is more fitting than that the fathers of those sons perform that duty here at home. And in large part, he was referring to the labor and rest that was occurring in places like Butte in Western Montana. There was also a labor shortage as men enlisted in the military and workers went on strike and so forth. There was this huge demand for labor. So Woolbridge, Woolbridge uh, actually suggested that they allow ch Chinese immigrants to come into the United States and into Montana where they could assist um, with farm production and so forth for the growing of green. Of course, he understood that the attitude of labor towards this was not favorable, um, but it was his, quote, uh, fear that uh, their attitude will oblige many of our people to go hungry before this struggle is over. So you can see the uh, discontent with organized labor, with labor unions and labor strikes growing as we go along. There was opposition to the uh, sedition law as well. A telegram from the Deer Lodge Central Labor Council which uh, asked Governor Stewart to hold off signing any of the labor bills until their representatives had a chance to arrive and talk to them about, uh, talk to him about uh, their views on this. Governor uh, Stewart's response to those individuals who were concerned about a sedition law uh, was very strong. Um, speaking about the uh, situation for the farmers in Montana, he wrote C.F. Morris in Haver, Montana the following. It seems to me that the time had come when somebody should call the hand of those agitators and see where they stand. The farmers, generally speaking, are loyal and patriotic. There are only a few of them that are IWW type and they are led astray by a few agitators. Recently, since the farming industry has developed, a lot of politicians have come to the conclusion that their salvation lies along the lines of patting the farmer on the back and kowtowing to him. There is a necessity for assistance in many instances, but nothing like the amount estimated by some of those ones who have been doing the talking. 
and he's referring almost um, directly to the IWW as well as the Nonpartisan League, which was seen as the agrarian equivalent to the industrial workers of the world. He wrote A.J. Wilkin from Twin Bridges, the legislature will start today and I'm hoping they will deliver the goods. He's dope and he's delivering the goods. <clears throat> he did caution, however, in his opening speech to the legislature that sh uh, care should be taken that no machine be created for the oppression of the innocent. The law should be plain and unequivocal, but should be so drawn that its provisions cannot be misapplied or its operation turned inside to the accomplishment of an unworthy purpose. As such, in regards to sedition, Senate Bill 1 was passed, providing for the creation and appointment of the Montana Council of Defense and County Councils of Defense. Senate Bill 2 was enacted, defining criminal syndicalism and the word sabotage, and prohibiting the advocacy and teaching of such. House Joint, Me uh, Joint Memorial Number 1 uh, memorialized Congress to pass necessary legislation defining as a crime and providing punishment for all acts of individuals, associations, corporations, and partnerships done in an attempt that they may be construed as seditious or sabotage. House Joint Resolution 1 was passed to address the labor situation in Montana and the Pacific Northwest. House Bill 6 addressed desecration of the American flag. And House Bill 15 addressed the manufacturing, buying, selling, or transporting and possession of explosive materials. The idea was to take this nation of immigrants and hammer them into 100% American. Um, after this special session, the major focus of the Montana Council of Defense shifted from issues relating to food production to the prosecution of those individuals and organizations that they, were, that they considered lacked sympathy or were in opposition of the war. At the conclusion of the special session, Governor Stewart believed that the work they had accomplished would put Montana on a better and sounder wartime footing. But as we know, history is full of surprises and unintended consequences and the intent rarely produces the obvious and desired outcome. And so over the next day and a half, we'll explore those purposes, those intents, and the desired outcomes, and how some succeeded and how some failed. Thank you.